Bring a little optimism into your life with The Bright Side, a new kind of daily podcast from Hello Sunshine. Hosted by me, Danielle Robay, And me, Simone Boyce. Every weekday, we're bringing you conversations about culture, the latest trends, inspiration, and so much more. I am so excited about this podcast, The Bright Side. You guys are giving people a chance to shine a light on their lives, shine a light on a little advice that they want to share. Listen to The Bright Side on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search The Bright Side. Welcome to season nine of Next Question with me, Katie Couric. I've got some big news to share with you in our season premiere featuring the one and only Chris Jenner. Oh my gosh, congratulations. That is very, very exciting. And that's just the beginning. We'll also be joined by podcast hosts Jay Shetty, Hillary Clinton, Renee Fleming, Liz Cheney, and many more. So come on in, take a break from the incessant negativity for a weekly dose of fascinating conversations. Some of them, I promise, will actually put you in a good mood. Listen to Next Question with me, Katie Couric, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Imagine you ask two people the same seven questions. I'm Minnie Driver, and this was the idea I set out to explore in my podcast, Mini Questions. This year, we bring a whole new group of guests to answer the same seven questions, including Courtney Cox, Rob Delaney, Liz Fair, and many, many more. Join me on season three of Mini Questions on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Seven questions, limitless answers. Hi, you guys. It's me, Arden. I hope you little bunnies are doing okay out there. I know it was another week with no main episode. Thankfully, we have got you covered. And if you guys are really jonesing, HBO Max right now is airing bachelor in paradise australia season one which in my opinion is the greatest season of the bachelor i have ever watched and uh we did it on patreon with brian Sophie. if you go on our patreon page um it's down at the it was like one of the very first episodes we ever recorded it's the very first episode with it is called riding the bipolar high with brian Sophie in 2017 so just go if you if you're interested and you're like Arden I need to be watching a narrative because Bachelorette is now not coming out till mid-October and if you're jonesing you can join our Patreon you can go on Bachelor in Paradise Australia season one you can listen along and plus we're still doing new things we're still doing Bachelor in Paradise uh sorry Bachelorette New Zealand we're doing uh Real Housewives of New York so we're doing six episodes a month of new content and then there's all the old archives and I gotta tell you the Bachelor in Paradise Australia one is fantastic um we have another episode of Feeling Thorny, and I really appreciate everything that you guys have been reaching out with. And I just wanted to say uh, we're going to be back next week with a new episode. We're going to be breaking down the Nick Vial Bachelor Best of Season with your boy, Jerry Trainer and uh, your new fave, Miles Gray. And we have Allison Rosen joining us, so that'll be really fun. And in the meantime, I'm going to read two emails and some of the reviews. If you want to, and you guys... Thank you so much, everybody who's been ordering the book. Um, it comes out, it'll be I, almost a month from today. It comes out September 29th. And my goal is if I get on the New York Times bestseller list, I'm going to throw a show in my mom's yard in Rhode Island. I'm going to make my brother let me do it. And I still have that offer that we uh, I 
paired up with um, Premier Collectibles where you can get the hardcover book and you can get a signed book plate and you can get a Little Miss Compton canvas tote all for the price of just the book. Uh, It's the first 250 people who order get that and then the second 250 just get the signed book plate. And then I have another special exciting thing I'm going to tell you at the end of this. So here's some fun emails we got. Um, This is from Nicole Riche, and it's Houston's and a long-lost hello. Dear Arden, hi, I've been meaning to write you an email forever, like over a year, but what prompted me to finally do it is because I have a mutual shared love for Houston's. I used to live in Boston. I went to the Houston's in Fannel Hall all the time. They've since closed it, which is heartbreaking, but man, it was a good time. I'm not sure you remember me, but we've actually met a few times before. Back in the 1999-2000, I was a casting assistant in LA, and I worked for Mally Finn. Mally adored you and you were always on her list. Yeah, Mally Finn. Yes, Mally Finn. You came into the office several times for auditions. I mentioned you to a friend of mine, Andrew Mudge, and um, you were always so nice and I followed your career and, of course, Insatiable. I absolutely love your podcast. I've been listening to it for a few years. It brings me a lot of joy. It makes me laugh so much. Whether you're talking about the Bachelor franchise or life in general, it is fantastic. Thank you for being so open about your life. And it's a blast to hear someone I kind of know. I know quarantine has been rough for everyone, but you've been really a bright spot for me. Thank you for your honesty and humor. I just wanted to say you're doing a great job and I'm always rooting for you. I follow you on Instagram. I love your posts, especially dancing in the kitchen after getting highlights. Can't wait to keep listening. I'm halfway through the episode with wells and it's a lot of fun i hope you're well have a nice night and thank you for being so fabulous sincerely nicole richie nicole i just wanted to say and to all of our fans that email in truly it means so much to me it's so like i love this i loved mally finn i love like i feel like we're all in this together i mean look as you know from listening to me This is a freaking journey and it takes a village. And even if it's like an audio virtual village, you guys are the sweetest, sweetest group of people around. And I have felt all of your support personally over the last few years. And I hope you feel my support now because I've made it through some crazy ass things. And I'm just telling you this, this at some point in time, we will get through this. This too shall pass. This too shall pass. And it may not be your best year ever, but you don't need to make it your worst. It's okay. You can still have a little bright spot. Here's one more email that made me laugh so hard. This is called, the subject is Mesnick and the the Passion Bucket. Rebecca uh, Germano emailed us and she says... I recently, hi Arden, Katie, Tana, and the rest of the really except this Rose crew. I recently listened to your fabulous rookie tribute episode recapping the Jason Mesnick goat three hour slog. No shit, that these are long, man. The new rookie crew was on fire, but the discussion as to whether or not Jason Mesnick was attractive reminded me of a time in 2010 when I was suffering through working at the Gap. Let's not get into that in a Seattle suburb. My coworker started freaking out because the Bachelor was in the store, not having watched the show at the time. I was shocked when I saw him. As you discussed, he was one, short, but two, he seemed to be exuding no sexual energy, so I was really confused as to why my female co-workers were all a Twitter. Given that Arden once proclaimed herself the chief eunuch inspector, which I don't remember, but is 
incredible. She probably would have a better read on the situation, but I thought I would share those first impressions. During the episode, I kept waiting for Arden to bring up one of the best Tweet of the Weeks ever, which happened on the Ari finale episode. After Chris Harrison said it looked like Jason's passion bucket is full, the hero listener tweeted, passion bucket is what Jason calls his wife's asshole. <laughs> ah, so good. I re-listened to that episode of your podcast to confirm I was remembering correctly, and I ended up bursting out laughing again numerous times. It's so, so freaking funny. And if my voice wasn't burned out from doing 88 podcasts today, it would sound like a heartier laugh. It's so funny to me. Paget and Aaron are amazing, as well as Arden, Katie, and Tana. And the last thing Aaron said on the podcast was, you know I like a good low-hanging ball on my clavicle. Now, whenever Jason is brought up on your show or your podcast, I immediately think of Passion Bucket and The Gap. You and your friends and the Will Except This Rose crew are a truly a goddamn delight, and the merry shit show you put out is a joy. The humor in it, in the words of the new rookie trio, makes me feel seen and heard and representation matters. Matters. I cannot wait to receive my copy of Little Miss Little Compton, and please keep up the Lord's work. This world of ding-dongs needs it, Rebecca. Also, I would again, once again, like to shamelessly nominate myself for the listener episode that you have been teasing. Okay, you guys, it is next week. This is it. You guys officially have two days to email us, okay? So this is coming out on Friday. We're going to decide on Sunday. Whatever the next rookie episode is, we're going to have three guest fan fan co-hosts that are going to zoom in and do the podcast with us. So if you want to nominate yourself for a friend, because people have been doing it, you've got two more days to do it, okay? Um, also, I got to tell you, I asked you shamelessly, we're trying to get over a thousand likes on iTunes. I know it's dumb. It shouldn't matter. I agree with you. Sadly, people seem to care about it. So um, here's the deal. You have been doing it and we, we appreciate it. And all of the like like numbers are going up and all the review numbers are going up. So like that is awesome. And so if you have it in you, just go, just go click, go click, Go, preferably a five-star review. That's awesome. Go click the review thing. And if you want to leave a, an actual review, mwah, chef's kiss. They're so good. Here we go. So here's a review. We only got one actual review. So if you want to be read, it's a pretty guaranteed thing that you're going to be read if you leave us an actual review this week. Five stars. Lori is my queen by Stay at Home Dog Mom 2020. This podcast is single-handedly getting me through the pandemic. Arden and her takes on the Bachelor franchise are the laughs that keep me from crying during this roller coaster of a year. Yes, honey. That's what we're here for. Although we have come to realize that we have little control over anything during this dumpster fire every year, this podcast is one of the few things that bring a small amount of consistency and routine to my week. I find myself laughing out loud to her and her co-host's response, and I'm always in awe of Lori's supreme historical knowledge of Bachelor Nation. This podcast is a gem of a show, has protected my heart during troubled times, and will always have my rose... Stay at Home Dog Mom 2020. That is a beautiful podcast uh, review. Thank you so much. Um, so here we are. Here we are. I'm going to give you an intro. and I'm going I'm to leave you with one final exciting thing that's coming up. 
We've been doing the in-depth, intimate feeling thornies where we get to know people. And this was inspired by me writing my book, Little Miss Little Compton, which comes out in a month. Um, so we've done one with Rob Benedict. We did one with um, the star of Wrong Missy and Orange is the New Black, Lauren Lapkus. We did one with Wells Adams um, from the Bachelor franchise. And I'm really excited. This one was I? I was so excited to sit down with this person. Um, I don't. I was on this show on Netflix called Insatiable for the last two seasons, and it was the first time that I had a female showrunner. It was created by a woman. Um, most of the directors were either women or gay men. Um, we had mostly female producers and. It was such a pleasure. It was so inspiring. I loved this woman so much. Um, I talked to today our creator and our showrunner and the brilliant writer, Lauren Gussis. And she wrote on Dexter, I think for the entire run that it was on, for like for like five, six, seven years. I mean, she's a terrific writer and she's brave and she's fearless and she was a fun boss. And she unapologetically was a woman in charge in a way that was like a joy to witness and fun to work for. I always wanted to do a good job for her. And I always felt free and accepted enough to take chances and take risks. And I felt like if she picked you, she thought you were talented and she let you do your thing. And so, you know, as a writer myself, um, it was really fun for me to sit down and pick the brain of somebody that, you know, I get nervous when I pitch things. I can tend to doubt myself. I get my little weirdo social anxiety. And to talk to somebody that seemingly so effortlessly has just shown up for herself. And so I'm so excited for you guys to hear this. And so much of me talking. But here's the final thing. I'm really excited about this. But um, we're doing kind of like a virtual book party like a book release party like a show and it's the same place that we did the live um draft picks the dynasty typewriter which is such a cool theater and they're doing all these virtual shows and so that means you can from any time zone you can come to the show and what's cool about it is five dollars so you know you don't have to fly in you don't have to get a hotel like and even if it wasn't like covid times you know this is a five dollar commitment and even if you're not available, the link is good for a full week afterwards. You can watch it. Um, so we're doing our show. It's going to be me and Lauren Lapkus. It's a book party. I'm going to do um, – and it's before the book comes out, like the weekend before. It's um, Saturday, September 26th at 5 p.m. Pacific time. Uh, and it's going to be me and Lauren Lapkus. People can email in any questions and – you can order a book through there where you can get a customized book plate. So if you want to give it as a gift to somebody and you want it written out to them or if there's a certain – like if you want it written out to yourself, you can get – if you buy – if you order the book through – you don't have to get a book. You can just come for the show. But Skylight Books, which is a super cool bookstore in Los Angeles, is partnering with it and you can get the book with a special like custom message which is kind of fun. And so this is my book release party. And I hope you guys will come. I'm sure we'll talk some Bachelor stuff. So that is um, September 26th at 5 p.m. So much talking. Okay. We'll be back next week and breaking down um, Nick Vial's season with the rookie. All right, you guys. Have a good time. I'm sorry I chewed your ear off. I hope you guys are all doing okay. 
I hope you're all hanging in there. I hope everybody with kids and is back to school and is still at home or not at home or, feel, if you know, if you have any sick loved ones or you're not doing well, like, just know that your little friend Arden is just, I'm sending you lots of love and I'm thinking about you and I know everybody's doing the best that they can and um, I appreciate your time and your well wishes. Okay, bye. Welcome to Will You Accept This Rose, a production of iHeartRadio. <laughs> you know what time it is. It's time for Arden to get a little close and a little thorny. Oh, well, Arden's gonna go one-on-one, gonna be high-energy fun. Convos are gonna be super real. She wants to get with you in all the fields. Feeling thorny, yeah, feeling thorny, whoa, feeling thorny. With Arden Marie, yeah, <laughs> feeling thorny. Oh, yeah. oh my God, you've probably never heard this song. I'm an idiot. <laughs> oh my God, I made this song. Ah, uh, will you accept me inviting you to my podcast? And making you a little... I'm going to get closer. Oh, my God. Can you make this song? Yeah. I commissioned it. I had a vision. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. It's insane, right? Oh, my God. Oh, my God. This is as good as hold the hole. Oh, my God. Thank you so much. Oh, my God. Welcome to a very special bonus podcast of Will You Accept This Rose. We are in our offshoot, Feeling Thorny. Okay. My friend who is here has never heard that song and the look on her face why like i felt like i just gave you the a gift it, it was like half joy and half wild discomfort that's exactly right <laughs> well when i had a vision for this uh just a little backstory on this podcast i'd never watched. i didn't watch much reality tv i'd never watched the bachelor or anything and like four years ago I somebody made me watch it and okay. I was like I am not a garbage person I have like better things to do who made you watch it uh, Dan Martin nice. Someone. <laughs> and um and I watched it and I was like oh my god like I don't watch sports or anything but I became obsessed with like the gaming of it <laughs> and then I saw on Twitter that all of my favorite people like the, all these funny people watch it and I was so I had this fever dream on a mountain in Vermont New Year's Eve like sledding one year and I was like I need to make a podcast right. so I can talk about it with people and I felt like I finally had a hobby for the first time in my life and so I commissioned I hired Mark Rivers this genius who writes for like Adult Swim and stuff I was like I need you to write me a song that feels like Barry White slash like a homeless man has jumped out of a bush and like breathed on your neck and jizzed on your feet <laughs> and i feel like he executed he that it. he nailed it he nailed it um <laughs> you are hearing the voice of a person and part of the reason i'm expanding the podcast right now um is outside of the bachelor franchise is that i am a person with social anxiety who built this podcast and I thought it was just going to be me sort of joking around about The Bachelor. And what I found is as a nervous, awkward human who seems outgoing but is right. actually like a super freak, I've been able to get to know people and I've had so much fun and it's been so good for me as a human being that I started taking more chances in life and eventually I sold a book. Right. And um, this is leading up to my book. You can pre-order now on Amazon, Little Miss Little Compton. But um, 
it's it's sort of I wanted to bring people in and a lot of my book is dealing with um you know, my parents married on a dare. They weren't dating and they weren't, you know, they were never a couple and they stayed married for 50 years. <laughs> and um, so my roadmap was a little bit off. And so I wanted to bring people in who I respect and I admire and who I feel like live their lives very authentically and who might have also had sort of quirky roadmaps and just talk to them about themselves. So here with me today, a long introduction. Um, as you know, I talk about it all the time. I'm on this show, Insatiable on Netflix, which is my Yay. favorite job I've ever had. And I probably, you've all, I talk about you actually a lot in the book, but um, wow. I, I know I really, I've never been on a show. Um, I've never been on a show run by women or a woman. Um, I've, and I've just to, you know, they always say like, you can't, it's hard to be it if you can't see it. And just like watching you navigate birthing the show, defending the show, and then being the joy, like the captain of the show with, in my perspective, with like a strong, but light touch, like it's yours, but it's, I feel like people have room to play. Um, and I just want to bring you on our creator, our showrunner, Lauren Gusses. Thank you. That's so nice of you. Thank you. It's true. Um, I feel like our show really has a lot of, like, just the seeds of the creation of it are, it feels like you gave your voice to your inner teenager, like... My inner a lot of stuff. Yeah. Like, my inner shame, sort of. Yes. Like, the shadow self. And I, I don't know, there's a lot of stuff in the show that I felt like, when I say shadow self now in this day and age, then I have to qualify that by saying it's things that probably I shouldn't have had shame about, right. but did. Like what? Like the LGBTQ stuff. Right. Like clearly, there's no shadow right. of that. But right. the shadow self was the part of me that felt like I needed to keep that in the shadow. Well, I can also say for me growing up, you know, when I think about a lot of my friends who didn't come out till after college, like right. no one was out. There was no, right. there was not one person out in my high school there was, was one person in my high school, and I think they came out the year after I left. A guy or a girl? Guy. How, guy. Did, how did people treat him? I think fine. I think it was, like, not a secret. Right. So right. people were fine. Yeah. But I can't tell you, like, most of my close group of friends came out, including my boyfriend, by the way. Yeah. Came out in some way or another. Yeah. After we left. It's an interesting thing, just talking about shame, when I think about, you know, like, when I, when I wrote the proposal for my book. Uh-huh. Um, a lot of it, I think, I think it was more negative. Like I had my, my dad was tough growing up and, and like on the one hand, a lot of my family was really fun, but like my dad was pretty nasty. And I think I had so much like shame was such a huge part of my identity. I think I still struggle with it. Mm -hmm. It's sort of my default. If I'm tired, if I'm not checking in with people, like it it just washes over me. I recently, literally recently meeting in the last probably 36 hours had a therapist tell me that my relationship to shame like shame is a whole mansion in my life like it's a mansion and she said you need to make it a closet and I said perhaps not the best analogy considering my history (laughs) and she literally was like she goes if I was closer to you I would poke you with my foot but yeah let's make it a condo instead of a giant mansion yeah you can have a duplex a duplex right um (laughs) yeah I honestly think and then because I mean not to be super dark but like just and I don't believe in accidents. So they literally, I've been trying to sell this book for years, and the day that the offer came in was the day of my mom's funeral. 
Um, oh my god! Which is so crazy. They were like, "Hope you're having a great week." It's oh, like no. not really. <laughs> but Wait, do you say that though? Because that's the thing. We, I, I'm sorry yeah, to be no, You can you. until you say anything. But I was recently having a conversation with somebody about that, like the social norm of when someone says, "How are you?" You don't really. You're not really supposed to answer. And yeah, how no. awkward it is yes. when something's really going on. So did you actually say? I'm not great. You know what? When she emailed me, and I think I was like dry. I think I was getting driven to her funeral. And I, um, and I, it's funny that you should say that like so much of like you want to spare people. Like you don't want to like do it to them, you know, like they can catch it, you know? And so I was like, oh my God, so excited to work with you. Side note, funny thing you should (laughs) mention, not the greatest week, um, uh, you know, like my mom actually just died suddenly. And, but I will say one of the gifts of that, I feel like the book in a weird way became more glass half full and more about her. Like she was the sort of sunshine and my dad was like the shadows and shame. Right. Um, but that has been, it's interesting. Shame is not something, I don't think I've ever publicly talked about shame. Like, yeah. but it's something that I like, they say like guilt is so you feel like you've done something wrong, but shame is like you feel like who you are is wrong. Right. And I truly felt like right. for years. Yeah. Where did you get the message? Like, did you have a tough, like, I know very clearly where mine came from. Like, do you have a clear person of shame or clear? I was bullied as a kid and everybody does the best they can. That's right. right. Uh, and the response a lot of time was like, well, what did you do? Right. Right. And nothing. Right. Nothing. Right. Like. My seven best friends dumped me two weeks before my bat mitzvah when I was 12. Like, what did I do wrong? Like, I wasn't cool. The boys didn't like me. Isn't that just the worst thing? And, like, I didn't know who to – I mean, it was really – so even just the question of, like, what did you do? do, Yeah, you're, like – Kind of ingrained in me that, like, I was the bad guy. Yeah. And I think that I've, frankly, like, sought out relationships repeatedly. Yes. Not on purpose, obviously, where, like, I end up being the bad guy. Right. Or I feel like the bad guy. It's a very comfortable place for me to be. It's so interesting how hard it is to break that. Like, that's one of the things I talk about is, like, if I – like, what I wish I knew is – not necessarily – I would go in, I would be, like, like just thinking friends – mostly female friends but then sometimes in dating that like i i would have like fixer upper like if i could just cheerlead somebody the best Mm -hmm. then like if they felt okay about themselves then like we would be okay yeah and you just do it again and you watch these paths about yourself yeah it's hard to put down like it's hard when you even when you start to see it it's hard to like you're aware that you're doing it so like so now now what do i do like how do i stop doing that right um how did your parents meet Oh, my God. <laughs> my parents yeah. went to high school together. Okay. And my dad sat behind my mom and apparently had a crush on her, like, the entire time they were in high school. My mom was cool. I'm good. Um, he had a crush on her the entire time they were in high school. My mom was cool. My dad was not cool at all. Okay. And, uh, like, she didn't know she was he was alive. Like, she was a cheerleader and yeah. he was, like, a mathlete. Like, that. Yes. it was classic, like, John right. Hughes yes. ridiculousness. And then they... My mom originally went to the University of Iowa um, and then ended up transferring out to go to the University of Illinois because of um, some, uh, A, because she felt like she lived too close to her grandmother and that her grandmother was up in her business. Yeah, B, because there was some scandal that I won't talk about. Okay, great. I love it. I love it. I love a family scandal. It was a family scandal. <laughs> and uh, she ended up going to the University of Illinois with my dad. And I think she dated 
his roommate, or okay. maybe both of his roommates. Yeah, she did. And that didn't work out. Yeah. And then I think they were, to, they were at a bar one night, and she's like, I know you. Yes. And then they ended up together. Yes. Yeah. I love it. It was like last man standing. But he, <laughs> yeah, like he was like, it's a win. Oh, my because, God, he like, couldn't she believe dated it. a lot of like bad guys. Yes. Know, not bad guys, but just like my dad was so nice to her. Yeah. He's like a good guy. Okay. I don't mean to even be like, I, I mean, I will say it's now that I've watched numerous seasons of The Bachelor and I've watched different franchises of it because I have a yeah. podcast. What's fascinating, and Anna can attest to this because we've watched Australia, we've watched England, literally human nature every time whoever is like the nice responsible like i'm i'm a sure thing i will treat you well i will not try to fuck your friends they never pick that one like it's right. always the final two the one the fa- if your family likes them they'll always pick the other one the one right. that will give you herpes yeah like well you know one in four yeah let's you know, <laughs> not judge yeah but like it's truly like <laughs> it's it's truly like 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 human nature yeah, does yeah. not want the kind sure thing like no always no. it's fascinating it's fascinating across the globe it's like never did they pick the right one yeah um and but I, one of the things that's interesting just knowing you know like when I see, I know that growing up with some shame and some shadowy stuff, like you to me as a creator and that you, I think more than any showrunner I've ever worked with, like, you know who you are, you know what your point of view is, you're, you own it in a way that is unapologetic and, and not people pleasy and like, but graceful. Like, how did you go from being like, I got dumped from seven friends, something's wrong with me, to being like, how did that person? Oh, no, I still think that something's wrong with me. Okay. I have, the thing is that I deflect it. So I feel like I'm very good in a crowded room. Yeah. Right? So if I can write the thing and put it out into the universe, then it's somehow farther away from me yeah so I can really be clear about my point of view and what my work is because I've like it's public and I get the the bravado part of it makes it easier for me interesting and I think I learned that my mom has so much bravado like she's abroad yeah she is I've met your mom yeah so like she's a party yes she is and so I'm I kind of learned that like oh like if I can be on if I can be the party then people are entertained by me and it's okay and then if in my private life that's when I'm like, oh, I'm a piece of shit. I shouldn't have said that thing. Right. I go over and over in my head, like, maybe I shouldn't have said that. Maybe right. I shouldn't have done that. Nobody wants to spend, like, I don't like to make plans with people more than one time in a week because I think they're going to get sick of me. me like, like, I, you know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, I just, it's that. So I, I still built, have I, all I, I built a podcast so I can hang out with people. Yeah. <laughs> so I get very uncomfortable and socially, especially if I don't have a, an, if I have an introduction, I can usually make conversation. But, yeah. like, I'm never somebody that could walk up to somebody in a bar. Like, it's oh. just... You know, my husband was the president of his class. Like, he's very good at being social. So sometimes I actually have to pretend like I'm him when I'm in a room by myself. Like, That's what would nice. Mike, what would Mike do? Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I, I, I think also you have a certain amount of clout in a leadership position, which means yeah. I know people have to listen to me. Yeah. So then the anxiety goes away a little bit because I don't feel like I have to prove that I'm okay. Right. Like, I've already been told I'm okay because I'm the boss. So the part that gets, I mean, I, I can't believe I'm saying this to you, but I the, love this. The part that gets wonky for me then is like, well, then is everybody being nice to me because I'm the boss? Yeah. Like everything nice that you've just said to me, it's like, yeah, but I, you work for me. So no, like, but, but you, know you know that, you know that that's I, well, true. Well, with you, I kind of, no, you believe no, me. I believe you, but yeah. most, but like a lot of the time I, I check myself and then I go into that place of being 12 where I'm like, yeah, 
Well, yeah, it's because now I like being the boss is kind of the equivalent of being the queen bee. Yeah. Like it's a little bit like you're being you're popular, but it's because someone's paying you to be popular. And so it's just like it's a different thing. The dynamic gets harder. But if I'm in a room full of people where that's not my position or nobody knows. Yeah. Then I'm like, oh, right back to like, I'm a piece of shit again. The Eagle has landed. This is Neil Strauss, host of the Tenderfoot TV true crime podcast, To Live and Die in L.A. I'm here to tell you about the new podcast I've been undercover investigating for the last year and a half. It's called To Die For. Here's a clip. All these girls were sent out into the world and they were told, try to meet important men, try to attach yourself to important men. The voice you're hearing is a Russian model agent telling me about spies sent out to seduce men with political power. The war in Ukraine is also being fought by all these girls that are all over important cities. For the first time, a military-trained seduction spy reveals how the Russian government turned sex and love into a deadly weapon. If you want to kill your target, it's easy. You just seduce him, take him somewhere, start having sex, and then he's very vulnerable, so you can kill him easily. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I used to have so many men. How this beguiling woman in her 50s... She looked like a million bucks. ...with zero qualifications... She had a Harvard plaque. ...tricks her way past a wall of lawyers and agents. She's got all of these Maseratis and Bentleys all in the driveway. Is it like a mansion? Yes, it's a mansion. ...that this queen of the con uses to scam some of the biggest names in professional sports out of untold fortunes. About $6 million. Approximately $11 million. Nearly $10 million was all gone. Employing whatever means necessary to bleed her victims dry. She would probably have sex with one of her clients. Hide your money in your old rich man, because <laughs> she is on the prowl. Listen to Queen of the Con, Season 5, The Athlete Whisperer, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Danielle Moody here, host of the Woke AF Daily podcast. We've been with iHeart's Outspoken Network for a year, and what a year it has been. Every weekday, I navigate our rapidly changing world alongside our series of fabulous expert guests. As we head deeper into 2024 and yet another life-changing election cycle, Woke AF Daily is here to keep you sane and woke. Woke not just to the latest headlines, but also to the collective power we all have. Woke to the need to build community with those around us. Woke to how to avoid burnout and woke to the ways we can all find joy in the madness. Make Woke AF Daily with Danielle Moody your podcast destination for 2024 election news and analysis. And tune in to hear the ways I am working to stay grounded amidst it all. Listen to Woke AF Daily Season 5 on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Was Dexter your first TV? No. What was your first TV gig? 
where I was actually paid to be a writer. Yeah. It was a show on NBC called E-Ring. It was about the Pentagon. And I'm like, I don't... It, it was I great. heard earring and I thought of like like that birth control I that know. people have like sewn into their hips. Yeah, <laughs> no, it was very it was a very confusing title, which may have been why the show didn't do so well. Okay, um, but yes, it was about the E ring as opposed to D ring or C ring okay. of the Pentagon. How old were you? Twenty seven. How did you like like what? Where did you go after college? Where did you go to college and like how did what got you to that first job? I'm fascinated by like the trajectory story. Yeah, yeah, it's weird. Uh, I went to Northwestern. Yeah. because I was you know. Uh, only child of Jewish parents who like desperately didn't want me to leave Chicago and I was too scared on some level to go. How far away were there from your dorm? 20 minutes. Too close. Too close. Way too close. I was like scared that I was going to run into them at dinner at any Horrible. time. Because yeah. also my parents are foodies so they would have driven from Deerfield to Evanston to go sure. eat. So like at any moment I could have run into them. Now the good news about that is that my parents hosted for all the Jewish holidays so yeah. all my friends knew my childhood home and my college friends got to know my high school friends which yeah. was really lovely. That's nice. But also like I didn't really – I was a late bloomer because I didn't really do all the crazy rebellious teenage shit until I was in my 20s and I moved out to L.A. That's and I, interesting. And like, I really went hard. I like, like that. From 22 to 27, I was a catastrophe. What flavor catastrophe? All of them. What was your – what was the most fun, naughty year? I had a fun, naughty year when I was 19 in Chicago. I think. I made out with everybody and gained 30 pounds in alcohol and, and, and burritos. Yeah. I had the best time. <laughs> my, the 24 to 27 years, yeah. that like really was like circling the drain when I met my, met my husband. Yeah, like, yeah, I was yeah. really like, I was making out with everybody. So but fun. I, I don't know, my 24th birthday, I got dared to make out with 10 people and I did it. That's So it kind of like best. that started the thing. I love that. That I was like in the bar. And yeah. Like 10 people in the same bar. I and then love that. Somebody tapped me on the shoulder while I was mid makeout with someone. It yeah. was like, weren't you making out with that guy before? I'm like, yeah. Yeah. It's, a dare. it's yeah. my birthday. And then I went back to making out with the other. Like, I mean, I was a disaster. That's really fun. It was super fun. But it's like kissing. It's like, who yeah. cares? No, like, you're I, not going to get pregnant. No, you're not no, going to no. get a disease. It's like, great. I, I was all it. about keep it above the waist, maybe a fun dry hump. We yeah. make out in the doorway. Yeah. It's great. It was the best. Um, so that was fun. But I really, like, I. I started to maybe behave less ethically as I approached 27. Yeah. And uh, my husband kind of swooped in, like, at exactly that moment to be like, oh, I'm going to be the one. God, I didn't know you guys have been together since you were 27. That's interesting. 14 years. Wow. That's 14, great. It was 14 years on October 14th. Um, Lauren's husband is so sweet. He's so talented. And he looks just like. Rick, Rick Moranis. Moranis. He looks just like Rick Moranis, who's such a likable person. Like three times a year, someone will stop him on the street and be, and be like, like, hey, aren't you that guy from yeah. Honey, I Shrunk the Kid? Yes. No. Yeah, I loved you He's in Strange He's 20 Bro. years older than me. Like, Mike is always like, But people Rick remember Moranis, the, they remember the movie star. I know. They like, don't know what he looks like right, now. They, right. Like, they it's just know, funny. like, you're the guy, you, you've, you have not aged a day. I know. We actually, in season one of Insatiable, we were like, can we get Rick Moranis to play? Oh my God. The Jewish priest. Oh, my God. And then we were like, should Mike Ellis just play the Jewish priest? We had him do the line like five times. We're like, no, you're not an actor. Let's get someone else. Oh, my God. I love the idea. (laughs) I would like to see them in the same room. I love that. I really want to see them in the same room. What were you doing out here from 24 to 27? Like, what were you you doing? How were you paying your rent? Well, so I... I moved out here. I got a job as an agent's assistant at Broder Curl and Webb Uffner when it was still a thing before I got absorbed by ICM. Yep. And uh, I was on a desk... Of two agents, one who was below the line and one who was above the line. Yeah. Um, and it was like a comprehensive education about the television business. And also one of them was male and one of them was female. And okay. so the guy, and I this is, I just recently found out he suddenly passed away, which is really tragic because I haven't talked to him in like yeah. 10 years. Yeah. Um, but he was like, 
he was only two years older than me, but he looked like he was 40. Yes. And he was like Tony Soprano. Yes. He was amazing. Yes. Um, and she was like Tracy Flick. Yes. And so I kind of was like, this is, I, it was to, I really had to juggle two personalities at one time. That's a vastly different prototype of people to go. Like, that is yeah. way different. But also, she's an agent named Jana Carol Norton. I'm giving her a shout out because she's amazing. Hey, girl. I learned that you could be powerful as a woman without being a bitch. Yes. In Hollywood, which nobody had ever told me before. Yeah. And she really was like, very, just smart and on her shit. Yeah. She was amazing. And so that happened. And then... Uh, Were you writing scripts at home? I was writing scripts, but also, to be honest, uh, I moved out here to be a writer, and then I mistakenly got here and decided I moved out here to be skinny. Yes. Like, I just got confused about why I was here. Because I yeah. think it was like I always had body stuff, and the, the thing... I grew up in Chicago. The thing was like, nobody actually looks like they do in movies and TV. And then I moved here, and I was like, no, they do here. I didn't have body stuff until I moved to L.A. I was like just – I was just like 30 pounds heavier. Like, it was like whatever. And then I moved here. I, I lost – I started jogging in college just because I didn't ever want somebody to tell me to lose weight. So I did it, but then I got out, and I, you know, I booked a job quickly because I was silly and quirky and different, you know, not, not because I was everybody else. Right. And then I remember I got the flu one year, and I lost all this weight, and I started getting bigger storylines on the show oh I was on, and people – I was it was just because I had such a high fever I couldn't walk to the fridge but it was like unsustainable and people were yeah. like I know you're really sick but you look so great so I started smoking to try I mean it was I like picked it up like a cold you know and then and then for a little bit you lose your personality yeah oh well I mean I had to get into recovery yeah you know at yeah 27 it's like right about the time I bottomed out in every way at 27 um yeah but uh yeah I I decided that. So I wasn't really writing scripts to the degree that I should have been yeah. at that time. Because I was looking up like diets and right. plus programs it's and distract- gyms yeah. and all that stuff. That is a time year. But um, one of the agent's clients got her first staff writer gig. Uh, and so she wanted to have an ally on the staff. You know, when you're an agent's assistant, you talk to all the clients on the phone yeah. all the time. Yeah. And so she got me in to interview for the writer's assistant position. And... I was the least experienced person, but they wanted to hire a female. Yes. And so they hired me. And I ended up in the writer's room for Birds of Prey. Yes. Which was like this Batman franchise show for the WB when it still existed. Yes. And magically was in a room with a bunch of people who, while that show wasn't a big deal. Yeah. They all went on to be massively big deals, even though at the time, I don't think any of them were really as big of a deal. And now they're all huge. Like, in that room was... uh, Melissa Rosenberg, who yes. went on to write the Twilight yeah. movies. Yeah. Lita Caligridis, who's like the most successful female screenwriter other than Melissa Rosenberg of all yeah. time. Yeah. Um, Eddie Kitsis and Adam Horowitz, who created Once Upon a Time. Yeah. Hans Tobiasen, who's run a million things. Yes. Right? Like Adam Armas and Kay Foster, who created a ton of shows. Like they were all. That's the room you were in. Heavy hitters. And they were all like not, uh, they weren't showrunners at that time. And so. Um, they taught me to pitch in the room. Eddie Kitsa specifically would ask me, like, when the room had a lull, he asked me, well, what do you, he's like, okay, rookie, what do you think? Oh, my God. And I had chills. something to say. And then yeah. they were like, either it was good or it was good but not right. And they would explain why. What a gift. Such a gift. What and, a gift. But also Eddie Kitsis read my spec script that I had written while I was a broder. Yeah. Was like, you're very funny and very talented and you're not a comedy writer. Interesting. I was like, what? And so he takes credit for my career. Wow. <laughs> and I was like, what do you mean? And at the time, he was, you know, you needed more space to tell a really emotionally deep story. Right. So I wrote a six feet under spec and that got me on my work. Wow. So from there, 
I went briefly, you know, the show got canceled, and I went briefly to work for a manager. And 10 days into that job, uh, I got a call to be the writer's assistant from Melissa Rosenberg, who had moved on to the OC. Yes. And I was like, I just took this other job. And I realized every single person who was there was dying to get a writer's assistant job, and I had an offer. And I'm like, if there's going to be a bridge that I burn, this is going to be ha- have to be the one. That's right. And so I did. Also, Melissa kind of tore me a new one. She's like, are you kidding? Like, you're going to call and not be ecstatic that I'm offering yeah. you this job? Yeah. I'm like, you're right, you're right, you're right. Yeah. So I went. And so I spent the first season of the, in, OC. Of the OC, which was like life changing. I mean, <sighs> just in terms of learning so much from all of the, a lot of women in that room, actually, and also Josh's and fantastic. To be on, and to be on a hit, too, yeah, and jo- like witnessing the birth of a hit. Also witnessing the birth of teen stardom. Yes. Like I was, I feel like I may have seen the moment where Adam Brody realized he was famous because yeah. we went to some screening at Sharky's in like the South Bay. Yeah. We were in a I car. I love Sharky's. I love Sharky's. We were in the car on the way and a couple, you know, all the writers just jumped into the cars with the actors and everyone was very friendly and he got out of the car and there was like a thousand, a thousand screaming teenagers and I saw the look on his face that was like, oh shit, I'm famous now. I was, Which was magical for me to be like, oh, I think I just saw a seminal yeah, you, moment in somebody's life. Like, I, that's just, cool. I just got chills thinking back. Like, I didn't know going back between season one and season two of Insatiable, like, because of the, because Netflix is different than traditional net, network where you do a couple and yeah. you start airing and you're still filming. You know, we'd done the entire thing in the privacy of Atlanta. And then I remember going with you and the cast to Instagram and Facebook headquarters and and we'd already dropped and like Michael Provost had gotten like, who plays Brick, he'd gotten like a million Instagram followers in like a day. You know what I mean? And I was curious to see, particularly for the the younger cast, a lot of them, it was one of their first jobs. Yeah. You know, the the more veteran people, it's like Debbie's been, if Debbie was going to be a dick, she'd already be a dick and she's lovely. You know, Dallas is lovely. Alyssa is lovely. Like, but I was curious to see if when we came back with all of this, because you can actually have metrics now because you see your followers go up. I d- didn't know if the kids would be different and they weren't. They though. weren't. They and were I so good. I also think about part of it is the safety too of filming in Atlanta. You know, mm-hmm. like that. There's like it's just us. It's like camp. You know, it is. But I also just think we have a good group of people. You haven't picked any jerks. Like it's it's been a great group of people. Yeah. They. I mean, it's a magical puppy pile of human beings. Um, and going back to the OC and everything, like one of the things, like it was interesting. Has been interesting writing this book because you're sort of for you know you I was just like what I just moved forward you know and it was interesting the publisher requested a chapter on like how did you get from this tiny town with like a chicken caboose like there's literally a caboose filled with chickens in a field and a general store and no stoplights like how did you get from there to a tv and looking at a lot of the happy accidents and like putting yourself in the right room being even just being good at photocopying or being reliable, you know, I remember I was an intern at Conan or I worked for a casting director. I worked at Improv Olympic in Chicago, like just being around and being competent. And then all of the talented people that were, that they all go on. And if you just show up and it's a lot, you stake your plan, it's but true. then the wind blows. No, it's true. That's what happened. So, so from the OC, uh, I ended up going to a show called North Shore on Fox okay. which is about like it was basically Love Boat in a Hotel love it and the show went early so they cherry picked all the writers from the Fox overall deals so again I was in like a powerhouse of writers on this show that was essentially the Love Boat yes and they were all amazing and they all took me under their wing and then they continued to teach me how to pitch and, and I kind of did a good job at my job 
Like I happen to be a great writer's assistant because I have perfect oral memory and so I can write down verbatim everything everybody says. You're the fastest typer I've ever seen too. And so they (laughs) liked me. Yeah. And uh, I gave them my spec that I'd written, thanks to Eddie Kitsis, a six feet under, and they all liked it. And so five people in that room had shows that were set to get picked up. Yeah. And none of those shows went. And I was devastated. It was my, it was year five of being an assistant. And I was like, I have to go. I, I made a deal with myself. Like if it doesn't happen in five years, I think I have to leave. Leave LA? Leave LA. And go where? What was I, I the plan? I don't know. <laughs> but I was like, am I really going to keep being an assistant for longer than that? Okay. Like okay. I just kind of, you know, I was a yeah. straight A student. Like I don't yeah. wait. Like if things happen for me, you know what I mean? No, like I, I just it. was like, no, I get it. Get it done. And uh, I had one more shot because the the executive producers of North Shore had an overall deal. Yeah. And they just re-upped and their assistant uh, had to leave because he had a meth addiction. Yeah, right. <laughs> sure. So yeah, that'll do it. They swooped in and were like, if you're not going to be the writer's assistant anymore, will you be our assistant? And I was like, okay. And uh, it was Chris Brancato and Bert Salky, which is uh, interesting for a lot of reasons, which I'll tell you in a second. And... They went, we moved them to ABC and they were in their overall deal and I was there for two weeks. And then one of the writers from North Shore called my boss, Bert Salke and Chris Mercado and said, Lauren, get off the phone. Because, you know, assistants listen in to all the calls. And I was like, oh shit, what did I do? Or what did I say? Because I'm someone whose mouth goes five miles faster than the rest of me. Yeah, I I leap before I look. I often say shit I'm not supposed to say. That's like my brand. Me too. And so I was like, who did I tell something I shouldn't have told? Or what did I do that somebody found out about? Because if you remember, that was in my period of time where I was really wildly misbehaving. Yeah, girl. So uh, <laughs> so I, I got off it. the phone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was like, uh, I just was like, oh, my God, oh, my God, oh, my God. I hope it's just a personal problem like yeah, yeah, between yeah. it because they were friends. So yeah, I was like, yeah, let's yeah. just pray that somebody's yeah, having yeah. problems in their house. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But not really. You never wish that for No, anybody. no, no. But, a small like, thing. Like, yeah. I want to fuck the nanny, but I'm not yeah. going to. Right. Yeah. Let's hope it's that. Yeah, let's hope it's that. Oh, I don't know about you, but things are getting so hot in here. I think I got to take a pee break. This is Neil Strauss, host of the Tenderfoot TV true crime podcast, To Live and Die in L.A. I'm here to tell you about the new podcast I've been undercover investigating for the last year and a half. It's called To Die For. Here's a clip. All these girls were sent out into the world and they were told, try to meet important men, try to attach yourself to important men. The voice you're hearing is a Russian model agent telling me about spies sent out to seduce men with political power. The war in Ukraine is also being fought by all these girls that are all over important cities. For the first time, a military-trained seduction spy reveals how the Russian government turned sex and love into a deadly weapon. If you want to kill your target, it's easy. You just seduce him, take him somewhere, start having sex, and then he's very vulnerable, so you can kill him easily. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Danielle Moody here, host of the Woke AF Daily podcast. We've been with iHeart's Outspoken Network for a year, and what a year it has been. Every weekday, I navigate our rapidly changing world alongside our series of fabulous expert guests. 
As we head deeper into 2024 and yet another life-changing election cycle, Woke AF Daily is here to keep you sane and woke. Woke not just to the latest headlines, but also to the collective power we all have. Woke to the need to build community with those around us. Woke to how to avoid burnout and woke to the ways we can all find joy in the madness. Make Woke AF Daily with Danielle Moody your podcast destination for 2024 election news and analysis. And tune in to hear the ways I am working to stay grounded amidst it all. Listen to Woke AF Daily Season 5 on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I used to have so many men. How this beguiling woman in her 50s... She looked like a million bucks. ...with zero qualifications... She had a Harvard plaque. ...tricks her way past a wall of lawyers and agents. She's got all of these Maseratis and Bentleys all in the driveway. Is it like a mansion? Yes, it's a mansion. ...that this queen of the con uses to scam some of the biggest names in professional sports out of untold fortunes about six million approximately 11 million dollars nearly 10 million dollars was all gone employing whatever means necessary to bleed her victims dry she would probably have sex with one of her clients hide your money in your old rich men because <laughs> she is on the prowl listen to queen of the con season five the athlete whisperer on the iHeartRadio app apple podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts and then I see the light go off that the phone's been hung up, and I hear, Lauren, no. get in here. Oh, my God. I'm dying. And I'm like, I, I literally felt all the blood drain I'm out of dying. my face. I'm like I'm I so felt panicked. Like, I know. I'm so panicked. And I walk in there, and Bert Salky looks at me, and he goes, you need to find another job. Like, you need to find a replacement for yourself, like, yesterday. Oh, and I was like, okay, what happened? Oh, my God. And I, I want to die, you know? And he goes... Ken is staffing you on E-Ring. Oh! And I was like, oh my God. Oh my God. That's so exciting. Oh my God. Oh my God. Oh my God. Oh my God. Why did you do that to me? Oh my God. He thought, oh he my thought God. it was the funniest oh thing. Oh my God. He thought it was so funny. Oh my God, Lauren. So it, it turned out, like, I didn't know that that was going to be the guy. It was Ken Biller. He's my fairy godfather. He gave me my first job. Um, and he brought me in on this Pentagon military show. I'm like, I'm a Jew from Chicago. I don't know a dick about the military, you know? Yeah, 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 yeah. To be the character writer. So once again, like I'm designated other in the room. Great. Which is, but that was uncomfortable because I already didn't know what I was doing. Right. You know, right, right, right. And I just kind of learned to run with it. Like, okay, I'm not here to tell military stories. I'm here to tell emotional stories. So that's what I'm going to do. I like that I heard that as a, I mean, in my mind, I'm like, if I have a specialty, I'm like, yeah. I'm needed. If I'm needed. If they, if not, if not everybody does what I do, that's good news. I think it's great, but not when it's your first job. It was right. very intimidating. Of course. Like, I, I don't even know if I can keep up, but the good news was I, because I didn't know, I asked a ton of questions. Mm -hmm. And one of the guys who co-created the show was actually a former Green Beret and a Marine and all the things. And he had spent so much time with the I, I got on the show late and so he, he had become very frustrated with writers who said yes I understand that's what really happened but that's not a good story mm -hmm. he's like I literally watched people's brain matter splatter out of their heads and you're going to tell me that's not a good, like he just was very, you know yeah. understandably like the yeah. guy lived a life yeah like how dare you and so instead I learned to say things like here's emotionally what we're going for what would be a good way in that and and he 
grew very fond of my ability to pull that out and then put it into an emotional context without being disrespectful. That's so interesting. Which was which has helped me enormously because since then I have done a lot of adapting real life stuff to story. Which is what insatiable is in a lot of ways. Okay, say this one more time. Make it nice and clear for me. So you start with like the emotional truth that you want to tell. Right. And then I say, what's a way to get there? Like, how do you back that? How do you backfill that and make it real? That's awesome. So that was really helpful. Um, but then it, it became clear that Earring was not going to move forward. And this is back when people were still watching pilots on DVD. Yeah, sure. Uh, the Dexter DVD was floating around. And we all watched it at lunch one day. And I had zero interest in writing a show about a serial killer. Like, I, I was not at the time. Now I am. But at, at the time, I was not obsessed with serial killers. I thought it was, like, too dark. And cop shows were not my thing. And I saw the pilot, and I was like, this is a dark comedy. Yeah. This is my favorite thing I've ever seen. I couldn't, from the moment that he murders someone, and then you hear really fun, happy Miami music. Yes. And he's on the boat, and he's so happy. I was yeah. like, oh, I, this is my jam. Like, yes. I couldn't stop laughing. I was so surprised about it. Yes. I was like, I have to get on the show. And I did. And I was there for eight years. And somewhere in there, it was pretty clear I was going to get fired because they had changed showrunners, and the showrunner did not like me. And I had to write my way out of jail. And so I wrote a pilot. I wrote a spec pilot, and then that person ended up getting fired off the show, so I stayed on Dexter. Yes, but, then, you, but you had the but pilot. But I had the pilot, and uh, eventually that got set up at Ryan Murphy's company, and then Ryan and I did a pass on it together, and we did it at HBO, and we thought the thing was going to go, and that didn't go. But while I was waiting to find out what was going to happen with that show, uh, CBS reached out with an article called The Pageant King of Alabama. Which is amazing. <laughs> About a man named Bill Alverson who oh, yeah. pageant girls. Who's spectacular. Who's spectacular. And I read it and like my face exploded and I was like, I have to do this thing. Do you still start your writing process from like, is your gen, like, does it usually start with a, the emotional core and then you worry about the plot? It, it's different every time. Yeah. It's really, really different every time for me. I wish I had like, also because I have, I haven't worked with a ton of people, but the people who I have worked with have influenced me greatly. And so every single person I have worked with has a different approach. Yeah. And I have to say, working with Ryan was, like, life-changing. Ryan Murphy was life-changing. Because he's with he's all about, like, the big story event. Yeah. And because I was all about emotion, yeah. I wanted to tell the very detailed emotional beats of the story. And we wrote we were writing scripts like we were breaking stories in the writer's room and he walked in and there was a whole episode two after the pilot that i felt was so emotionally important like it was it was the heart of the matter of everything that the characters were going through in the show and he walked in and he sat down and said i'm bored we can literally pull this entire episode out and jump right to episode three and i was devastated and i was convinced he was wrong and then i read episode one next to episode three and i was like he's totally right He's 100% right, and that was, like, devastating and eye-opening. And that's part of the reason why on Insatiable, the story chews the furniture, because I realized how valuable that is. You told me that he taught you, don't hoard your story. Don't hoard your plot. Burn it. Burn it. it, And and to trust that you'll come up with more. Yeah. I thought that was so interesting. Yeah, but it's interesting because it's it's in a lot of ways the opposite of the way that I was raised in the business. Yeah. And so I think... It's hard to juggle which way to go back to. So sometimes now I, ha- I like think of the big moments and then I figure out a way to backwards engineer why the emotion makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. But um, a lot of the writers in our room go the other way that I, I used to do. So it's always interesting to be reminded like, oh, right, that's also totally helpful. And, you know, this 
this year I hired a guy who was on Dexter with me almost the entire time. And he's like, where did the theme and emotion, Lauren, go? Like, you're all like incident, incident, incident. Yeah. And you're like, she worked with Ryan Murphy. I'm like, thank you for reminding me because on Dexter, he was all incident, incident, incident. And I was like, but wait, what's the theme? What's Dexter's emotional journey? He's like, I don't understand what's happening. I feel like we've switched places. And it's, it's so beautiful. That's why long relationships are so helpful because he was like my brother. Yeah. And the the ability to do that was so wildly helpful. When I hear just just knowing about the show and just hearing about your process too, like what a gift probably that young girl who got burned in seventh or eighth grade, like how much in some ways the gift of that original wound. A hundred percent. I mean, I feel like that's where as scary as it is, you know, like, I mean, this is going to sound, I mean, I truly, both of my parents died when I was recording this podcast. Like I never, t- like doing stand up and stuff, I never, ever was honest about, I was never very personal on stage. And when like life happens and you can't hide it, because it's like all of a sudden I'm like, I should be in my studio and like I'm in my freaking family den with my brother still doing the podcast. Like, you know, one of them was out of the blue, one of them wasn't, but like to then, it was a choice I could have easily just canceled it that week but like the choice of like here's where I am I'm still gonna do it and and I'm not great but like this is also what helps me get better is like I like making things right um and then I do believe and you said to me not like but this is sort of what the book is about like and and in the oddity of it closing like the book deal closing you said to me I just see like butterflies I see like regeneration (laughs) um that I think um you know I really feel like the gift of the like certain things that are so painful when you're going through them. It is like fertilizer for making. I really think creativity is such a healing thing. I think you're right. Yeah. And like without that, without like if you had been nailing it and like having not getting ghosted by those girls, like that original hurt, I think helps in a productive way helps make good good. 100%. Art. Yeah. No, because I think that's where my sense of humor ultimately. I mean, I think <laughs> Me I always had a sense of humor, but like, yeah. I'm never funnier than when I'm angry or sad or hurt. Yeah. Oh, my God. My brother and I, the jokes we were making just that weekend are just like, nobody else could listen because they're a little dark. Know, but yeah. you're, like, totally. but you're like, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I remember even like Debbie gave me a ride. It was like it had happened like 10 minutes earlier. And I remember like telling dad, like, oh, it's just as my mom would have wanted. I found out a tor- at a twerking class. You know, it's yeah. like, what the fuck? Like, this just happened. This is right. real. Why are you already doing a bit? Like, right. you need to it's like, ah, yeah. I, I'm, I'm floating. Yeah. Um, what do you wish? And I know you guys have a dinner that you guys are going to. But like, what do you wish you could say to like, I don't know. 14-year-old Lauren or 25-year-old Lauren, like, what do you wish you knew that you know now that you wish you could have known then? Uh, (laughs) That's a really, it's a really challenging question. I mean, to 14-year-old me, poor 14-year-old me. I know, 14's tough, man. You know I look like Barb from Stranger Things. I mean, you've seen it. You've witnessed it. (laughs) I would have I would have said don't be afraid to be who you are. Yeah, um, which is I think what your show is. I think is that. Yeah, uh, and that 
not and also don't be so worried about what other people think of you i would say that to me now by the way like 41 year old Lauren, like stop being so concerned about what other people think yeah like nobody's paying that much attention to you they're always thinking about themselves so you do you and people will figure it out and by the way you walk through like such a storm like so gracefully yeah thank you i'm glad that it appeared to be graceful but like i know that wasn't easy and it wasn't it wasn't um and what would you say to 24 year old lauren (laughs) uh Get your shit together, girl. <laughs> that guy, don't make out with that guy, <laughs> um, or that guy. Yeah, like, stop emailing that guy. Oh yeah, like, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, tell stop somebody telling know. dirty stories to that guy. Right. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't yeah, do yeah. that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, but I also think like take the time to figure out who you really are. I love that because I think I didn't. Yeah, and I think it bit me in the ass a little bit in a way that I had to kind of do it backwards and I, listen I did it the way I had to do it and again like, like the pain you know the, it works the way it's supposed to work I like, think a lot of life is choose your own adventure at a certain point like you have to learn it you learn it by trial and error right right and I I think I don't know it's the it's weird it's like I, the stuff that I would have gone back and told my 14 year old self is stuff that I still feel like I need to learn yeah it's not like I learned it no, it's me like too. I know now me too you know me too like, you're not the bad guy, and uh, stop obsessing about your food and your body. Yeah. <laughs> which I still need to hear. Mad TV helped me with that. They kept throwing everybody in bikinis, and everybody would cry. And I remember just going, I'm not trying to be a bikini model. I'm just going to worry about if I'm funny and just, like, trust the wardrobe people. Yeah. Because I really hated how I looked, and I was just like, I can't hate myself anymore. I'm, I'm done. I, I wish I wish I were done. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Sometimes I can be mean to my face, but I'm nicer in my body. Yeah. I also think, like, you're cuter than you think you are and, like, go out and have more fun with that. Yeah. That would have been a nice thing to do. Like, yeah. I look at pictures of myself at 24. I'm like, what the fuck? Yeah. Like, I'm never going to be that young again. Yeah. Ever. Yeah. Ever. It's so depressing. Yeah. It's so depressing. But then I think about, like, 65-year-old us is going to look back on us now and think that. Yeah. I'm going to end with two bachelor-related questions. Great. You're on. You're at the bachelor mansion for a bachelorette or a bachelor, whoever. What outfit do you wear getting out of the limo first night? Your what is your? I pick a bad. I have a bad outfit. Debbie said she would wear menswear. I say oh, I that's would, a great. Je, Debbie wins. Debbie I mean, wins. I say I would wear like a. I would get panic and I would do like a mullet dress. Like I would do like it'd be like Regina in the pilot. Right. I fear I would panic and have like a short in the front, but then I'd want to yeah. be formal, so I'd have something in the back. See, I don't watch. I don't watch the rest. It's okay. What would you? But if you're going like on a date, if you had to go like to a singles cruise and you like, what is your? I would wear. I would wear a jumpsuit, and it may or may cr- not have sequins. On it that's because great. it depends on how dressy it needs to be that's like, a great I, call. I feel like a jumpsuit all right so you are not a bachelor watcher here's your final question which one of these is not so they put up they would say like lauren gus is showrunner writer like they put a little chiron about what somebody's job is which one of these was not a profession of somebody on the show oh my god chicken enthusiast <laughs> sloth tickle monster crybaby Social media participant, lawyer, jumbotron operator, or Canadian? Which was fake? Chicken enthusiast, sloth, tickle monster, crybaby, social media participant, lawyer, jumbotron operator, or Canadian? Which one is fake? Tickle monster? That's actually real. Crybaby was fake. (laughs) Oh, my God. Yeah, crybaby. But the rest of them were were people's careers. Yeah. 
That's so depressing. The tickle monster was also like a pediatrician, which was Ooh, like the creepiest. Yeah, that, that felt like a like, really. How was that a career? He, how was that a career, Anna? How did he, why was he the, t- yeah, he liked to like tickle people. He didn't last very long. He didn't last very That's long. Gross. Yeah, it was super gross. Um, Lauren, I, may I say I love you? Is that inappropriate? Can I, I say that I love you? I love you <laughs> and I'm just like, I just, I appreciate you opening up your heart's to us via Insatiable, and then also you coming in and, and doing this with Thanks me. Thanks for inviting me. I appreciate it. It was fun. Um, and I'm going to get your friend Steven on some, when he comes back to Los Angeles. The and fa- we can promote... Mr. The very fancy and talented Steven Sater. Yes, who wrote Spring Awakening. He's going to come promote his book. And if you want to pre-order my book on Amazon, <laughs> guys, I'm dying to... I want to be a New York Times bestseller. Rumor has it you need to sell 8,000 copies. If I was rich, I'd pay you all back, but I'll, I will sign anybody's copy. If you just pre-order it, you'll forget you ordered it, but then it arrives. Apparently, it's all about pre-sales. It's Is called, that right? It's all about pre-sales. It's all about pre-sales. Little Miss, Little Compton. You can pre-order it now on Amazon. Um, Lauren, thank you so much. Thanks, Art. And listeners, we'll be back. Bye. <laughs> oh, yeah. Gonna get all up in you tonight. Gonna feel so Will you accept this rose? Will you accept this rose into your world? Will you accept this rose into your world? Will you accept this rose is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Bring a little optimism into your life with The Bright Side, a new kind of daily podcast from Hello Sunshine, hosted by me, Danielle Robay, and me, Simone Boyce. Every weekday, we're bringing you conversations about culture, the latest trends, inspiration, and so much more. I am so excited about this podcast, The Bright Side. You guys are giving people a chance to shine a light on their lives, shine a light on a little advice that they want to share. Listen to The Bright Side on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search The Bright Side. Imagine you ask two people the same seven questions. I'm Minnie Driver, and this was the idea I set out to explore in my podcast, Mini Questions. This year, we bring a whole new group of guests to answer the same seven questions, including Courtney Cox, Rob Delaney, Liz Fair, and many, many more. Join me on season three of Mini Questions on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Seven questions, limitless answers. Welcome to Season 9 of Next Question with me, Katie Couric. I've got some big news to share with you in our season premiere featuring the one and only Chris Jenner. Oh my gosh, congratulations. That is very, very exciting. And that's just the beginning. We'll also be joined by podcast hosts Jay Shetty, Hillary Clinton, Renee Fleming, Liz Cheney, and many more. So come on in, take a break from the incessant negativity for a weekly dose of fascinating conversations. Some of them, I promise, will actually put you in a good mood. Listen to Next Question with me, Katie Couric, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.